This episode is brought to you by Meow Wolf. Manifest unique family memories at Meow Wolf Denver. Quantum travel is the most comfortable way for Earthers of all ages to explore a playground of imagination. And why visit just once when this immersive experience reshapes every time you enter? C Street is my favorite because C Street has this vibe of like 80s dystopian. There's like slime coming down the walls and there's weird posters. And then of course, the secret club. With the annual Portal Pass, drop by Convergence Station as much as you want for less than the cost of two adult tickets. So if you plan to go twice, it's worth it. Plus, enjoy discounts, special offers, and so much more. Get the annual Portal Pass and spend quality space time with your favorite Earthers today. Learn more at MeowWolf.com. That's MeowWolf.com. Today on CityCast Denver. It's no secret, Colorado's an expensive place to live. Rents are high and the housing market can feel unreachable. So what do we do? Many experts say it's as simple as changing zoning codes. And Governor Jared Polis agrees. So do the state lawmakers behind Senate Bill 213, which could make sweeping changes to how communities across Colorado build more housing. But it's not that simple, and many leaders are skeptical. Today, I'm talking with State Representative Stephen Woodrow about this bill and what it could mean for our neighborhoods. Today is Thursday, April 13th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Representative Stephen Woodrow, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me. Representative, can you give me a quick and simple explanation of what this massive housing bill aims to do? Yeah, sure. So we have an affordability crisis here in Colorado when it comes to housing. Folks can't afford places anywhere near where they work. And so what this bill does is it says, are we going to continue to grow in a disjointed, uncoordinated way? Or can we be thoughtful and strategic and grow smartly as a state together? That's what 213 is all about. And then to get a little bit into the brass tacks, but not too much, this is really a bill that is looking at changing zoning, which is sort of the underlying issue that we come across when we're looking at how and where and what kinds of housing we can build, right? Yeah. So the data are pretty clear that single family zoning, restrictive zoning, puts upward pressure on rents. When in layman's terms, that means it makes things more expensive. And so if we can get rid of this power structure that has been in effect for about 150 years, this single family restrictive zoning uh, that has led to a lot of the issues we currently face as a state where some communities are doing a decent job and trying to meet the demand for housing and other services, while other communities have essentially said, we're not going to be growing at all and we're not going to be doing our fair share to shoulder that burden. This bill says we're not going to allow that type of zoning in a restrictive manner anymore. I want to be clear. We're not saying you can't build a single family home. That'd be that'd be ridiculous. What we are saying is, is as a property owner, you have a right uh, to put an accessory dwelling unit in your backyard if you are a single family homeowner. And what that'll hopefully do is increase density, get more folks living closer together, cut down on vehicle miles traveled, cut down on commute times, and have an overall positive net benefit for the state. 
I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of ending single family zoning, which would mean getting rid of this zoning that says you can only build one type of housing in this whole neighborhood, which could open the opportunity to build duplexes, apartments, townhomes, things like that. But I think about the pushback and the folks that will say, okay, isn't this going to overrun my neighborhood with traffic and parking issues? Like, aren't we going to have overcrowding? I wonder, what is your response to people's fears of getting rid of single-family zoning? Sure. So again, it's not getting rid of single-family zoning. It's just saying that it can't be limited. What I would tell someone who feels like the neighborhood's going to change is that where this has happened in other states, what we see is a gradual coming together. Uh, it's not overnight that neighborhoods change. In particular, when states do this in a coordinated way, which we're trying to do here, which doesn't force certain communities to shoulder all the burden, a disproportionate amount of the burden compared to others. When you're able to allow it in a more even-handed, equitable manner, this type of development, it happens gradually. Uh, It's not that every house on your block gets knocked down tomorrow and a new fourplex gets put up. It's that people build ADUs. Eventually, uh, a triplex might come in. And in terms of uh, parking, This bill encourages denser development by transportation corridors, including fixed rail and bus rapid transit. Uh, We need to find ways to cut down on vehicle miles traveled. It is one of the greatest contributors to climate change and global pollution. And what we need to do is find ways to cut down on on that type of carbon pollution. I'm I'm glad you brought up transit, actually, because, again, I know This bill focuses on the climate impacts and thinking about, like you said, how do we get housing near transit centers or how do we get folks to make that decision to, you know, ride the bus or walk? And and a lot of that has to do with proximity and affordability of their housing. Does this bill include transit um, funding? Because that would be my big concern is it's a great idea in theory, but if we don't have any money to fund the transit component of it, will it work? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So the bill has funding not specifically designated to transit. Uh, We are trying to fund transit through other measures. And of course, we had a huge transit bill a couple of years ago. But what this bill does is it creates positive feedback loops by encouraging denser development in those transportation corridors. So when you build uh, more density next to fixed rail, you increase ridership. When ridership increases, that means more revenue coming into the transportation system. The transportation system can then reinvest that money back in and attract more riders. So it creates this positive feedback instead of the negative that we've received you know, under our current system of sprawl. Uh, and that's really what this is. This is an anti-sprawl measure, which means that we're going to be coming in closer together. And the only way to do that is to do it by transportation corridors. So I'm thinking about the way that zoning can work is like it can be different block to block, neighborhood to neighborhood, city to city, you know, part of the state, the zoning can look differently. And um, if if something like this is passed, it's like a massive zoning reform. I'm thinking about in Denver where city council outlawed slot homes five years ago, for instance, because of concerns about ruining the character of neighborhoods and kind of feeling like a cash grab for developers. Would a statewide zoning bill like this undo local control of things like a slot home moratorium, for instance? Sure. So this bill tries to, you know, find the right balance between state and local participation on this issue. Unfortunately, our current system of strict local control over this matter has led to our current problems statewide. Uh, That's why we need a coordinated statewide solution. This is a matter of mixed local and statewide concern. So 
you know, I would tell folks, we're trying to find the right balance. The bill bakes in a large level of discretion and deference to local communities. Local communities have the ability to draft their own uh, ADU codes, their own middle housing codes, and, and other plans tailored to their specific local needs. I want to be clear that it is only when a local community, a municipality decides not to pass its own local code, after a certain period of time, a state model code would go into effect. Uh, we're not going to allow folks to simply ignore the law wholesale. Uh, we're granting a period of time for local communities to you know, do the work and meet certain minimum standards, but tailor to their own local needs and their own local ADU code. If they don't do that, if they don't avail themselves of that opportunity, that's when the state model code goes into effect. So we have heard from stakeholders who have said, hey, is this uh, taking away my local government's ability uh, to figure this problem out? And the answer to that is, no, your local government, your municipality has this opportunity. I hope they avail themselves of it. Another critique or concern I've heard from housing activists is there could be unintended consequences of this bill, particularly on lower income neighborhoods. Like I'm thinking about a community like Globeville area Swansea, which has a lot of smaller single family homes on these large lots. And those houses tend to be more affordable. If this passes and then all of a sudden developers are buying up GES and, you know, tearing down these small houses and building million dollar homes, I could see it creating more housing in the long term, but in the short term, how do we ensure that those communities won't be displaced because more expensive building starts happening all around them? Sure. So a couple of responses to that. First, this is an anti-displacement bill. We need to understand that economic displacement is far more violent and uh, prevalent than uh, developmental displacement. Having said that, developmental displacement is real, and we have seen certain communities have to face the brunt of it, uh, particularly because those communities have been the ones that have allowed development while other municipalities have said we're not going to grow. Hopefully by doing state needs assessments, state planning assessments, and trying to grow in a coordinated way, uh, we won't be forcing certain communities to shoulder the developmental burden on their own. In addition to that, we've leaned into stakeholder conversations and we have heard concerns about immediate displacement. And so we are baking in certain anti-displacement measures into the bill itself. Uh, those are menus that are being fleshed out currently in amendments that are being presented in the Senate. Final thing I would say is when developers do come in, if you do put up a duplex, a triplex, a quad, those units tend to be uh, 20 to 40% less uh, in terms of the you know sticker price than a standalone single family detached dwelling unit. So if you are looking for home ownership at a more affordable price point, a duplex or triplex might provide that opportunity to you where a single family detached dwelling would not. So we've definitely heard uh, the concerns about anti-displacement. I think the response to that is this is a really good package. If we keep the status quo going, that's how folks are gonna continue to be displaced in in most you know, sort of unaffordable terms. So we know that this is a statewide problem, which is why this could be a statewide solution. We know that we need housing here in Denver as much as we need housing in Aspen, you know, workforce housing, for instance. But I'm thinking about how like bigger cities, like urban cities are different than, say, the Western Slope, which is different than communities on the Eastern Plains. Like how does a statewide approach make sense to those nuances of communities? So... 
you know, this touches on my my prior answer where I said that local governments are afforded the ability to adopt their own codes. Uh, the bill is broken up into different tiers. There are tier one municipalities, tier two. There's an entire section for rural resort job centers uh, where we grant a whole bunch of uh, flexibility to those rural resort places to really get creative and innovative uh, on a local level to decide what works right for them, making it a lot of flexibility. So you're right, what might work in Denver is probably not gonna work in Aspen or Vail, but that's why the bill is attuned to that. So I think a lot of the sort of opposition to the bill has been um, philosophical and at times sort of ideological. And we understand that there's gonna be those types of differences and we're not gonna necessarily see eye to eye on who should be you know, presenting the solution for affordability. I think local governments, you know, some, like I said, have gotten it done. A lot of others have struggled. The reason they've struggled is largely due to local political pressure. Folks come to their meetings and let them hear it and say, we don't want to grow here. We don't want development here. So you, on a local level, you tell them no. What we're doing is saying, okay, let's remove that political pressure. Let's put minimum standards in on a statewide basis not saying one size fits all, but minimum standards, a floor that local communities have to meet. Then on top of that, baking in a lot of flexibility for those local governments to tailor uh, their codes to their own local needs. I think when we take that approach and when we actually take a step back and look at what the bill actually does, a lot of the criticism sort of just becomes, okay, you disagree with that approach and that's okay. We don't have to uh, you know, agree on everything. Our whole system is designed so we can you know, disagree about very important issues and have serious conversations about them. I have one more question before we wrap up. And I, I just kind of want to pull out and look at the bigger picture, also kind of get out of the zoning world, because that is it's just not realistic for most people thinking about housing right now, how that plays into where they can afford to live. I think someone says, I'm in a middle income family. How will this bill help me find a home that I love and can afford? That might be near my job. Sure. So this this bill is encouraging more development of more types of housing at all different price points by transportation corridors. That's the whole point of the bill is to try to get more housing where people work. And so what I would say is if you're that middle income family looking for home ownership and you're not able to afford, which you know, a single family detached dwelling unit in the Denver metro area which has become grotesquely unaffordable, that a triplex or a duplex might be the place to, that, we're, that we get you to start. That's where we're able to you know, open the door to home ownership and go from there. I wanna also be clear that this bill is not a magic bullet. We have many housing bills coming through the General Assembly this session, many housing bills planned for next session. It's an ongoing conversation how we attack our affordability crisis. What I can say is that since the Great Recession, Colorado has failed to keep pace from a supply standpoint as more and more people have moved here. The state demographer says that by 2050, we're going to add another 1.8 million folks to our great state. People want to live here. We've got really you know, gorgeous natural resources, breathtaking mountains, uh, wonderful neighbors, an awesome you know, political climate, and a robust fourth estate. People want to be here and they want to hang out and, you know, avail themselves of all Colorado has to offer. Our job is to make sure they can afford it. Representative Woodrow, thank you so much for taking some time with me today. 
Oh my goodness, thank you so much, Bree. Appreciate you. And just a note, right after I talked with Representative Woodrow, Mayor Michael Hancock, and City Council President Jamie Torres released a statement about Denver City and County's opposition to the bill. While they say they agree with the bill's overall intention to help make housing more affordable, they also say, quote, a one-size-fits-all approach that strips away local control in managing these critical land use decisions is not the best approach. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Fire danger. The last few days have seen record-breaking high temperatures, and that, along with higher winds, means increased risk of wildfire on the Front Range. There's a fire weather watch in effect from noon until 8 tonight, so please be extra careful out there. Luckily, tomorrow promises to be a little cooler with maybe some rain or snow on the way. (laughs) Colorado, make up your mind. And finally, tonight's the night. I'll be reading from my high school diaries on stage at Mortified Live. The CityCast Denver crew will be there, and we'd love to hang out with you. Tickets are still available at getmortified.com forward slash live. Also, to get you in the spirit of my very 90s teenage life, I've made a 100-song playlist that sounds just like my mixtapes from 1995. I'll drop a link to that in the show notes, and I hope to see you there. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell Billy Corgan about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. Like, sorry.